Hey guys, welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time, welcome. My name is John Garippa. I am the executive director here. Um, so on my way up before, I just was speaking with one of our other attenders, and she goes, I don't know if you get nervous up there, John. She goes, but for me, let me just give you a piece of advice. You just want to do what I do and pretend like everyone's in their underwear. And I said, that's a frightening proposition with this group. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. So we are talking about dumb decisions today and for the next few weeks. It's a brand new series. And, and what we're going to be talking about are these things that we do in life or say in life or maybe sometimes fail to do or fail to say, and they end up being a dumb decision, right? While we were doing it, we're saying, this is a good idea. This is something I should be doing. I need to stand up for this. I need to be doing this. And then later on, all you're doing is picking up the pieces. So I was trying to think about a story that I could tell you, because it's really important to tell a story in the beginning to kind of set the stage so people have an idea of what we're going to be talking about. But the thing with dumb decisions is that, like, you don't want to relive them, right? You don't, like, you want to push them under the carpet. You want to pretend like they didn't happen. And, and my dad always says to me, he goes, listen, John, as a public speaker, one of the things that you want to do is you want to be self-deprecating, right? You want to kind of put yourself down, make fun of yourself. You want to let the people know that, you know, you're fine. And he goes, but here's the deal. While you do want to tell jokes about yourself, you don't want to pull your pants down. And the problem is that so many of our dumb decisions look like us with our pants down. We feel foolish, and we don't want anybody to know. But it was 1999, and I was about 18 at this point, and, and I was living in New Jersey at this time. That's where I grew up. And I'd been driving for about two years. Now, if you're a kid in the room and you're new to driving, listen, because this story, I think, is going to change the course of your life. So I've been driving for about two years, and I came to a place in my life where I was saying, I need, I should be, I can be, I need to learn how to do a fishtail. Now, if you don't know what a fishtail is, today they kind of call it drifting. If you don't know what that is, you've certainly seen a car chase in a movie. And it's when the cars make the really fast turn around a corner and the back end slides out, you know, and it's kind of like, and then they shoot down the other road. This is something I thought I should be doing. And so I put a lot of time and effort into thinking about how am I going to make this happen? Because it's like, I know it looks easy on TV, but there's just like no way it's that easy. And I was a big car guy back then. I could figure this out. And so I thought long and hard about it. One of the things I thought was a necessary component to making this happen was a wet ground. I needed rain for this to happen. The reason I needed rain was because I wasn't driving like a sports car like you see in the movie. I was driving a mid-90s Jeep Grand Cherokee, which is not like a performance vehicle. So one Saturday morning after swim practice, it was 7 a.m., it had rained, and I said to myself, this is it, this is the time, it's go time. And so I was at the end of a road near an intersection that was just relatively empty. I came to a complete stop, I checked my mirrors, you know, left, right, and back, and there was no cops, most importantly, no neighbors, my parents were nowhere to be seen. And I'm thinking about this now, there wasn't even like a passenger with me that was going to enjoy this occasion. So I said to myself, all right, no time like the present, let's do this. And so what I did was I cranked my wheel all the way to the left, which I figured was necessary, took a deep breath, and I slammed on that accelerator pedal. And just as I had calculated, all four tires broke loose. And they started doing this, and there was smoke, and there was exhaust, and I began moving down the street sideways. Like, for the older folks in the room, I was like Steve McQueen, like racing around the streets of San Francisco. I mean, this was a work of art. Honestly, everything I expected to happen was happening. It was wonderful. I was literally perpendicular to the side of the road. And then something happened that I was not expecting. The traction control kicked in. 
and all four tires simultaneously locked. And because my RPMs were so high, it rocketed me off into the side of the road. I slanted the curb, the Jeep went up, came slamming down, and everything in the car went dead. And all of the lights on the instrument panel were doing this. And all I could do was go, oh, oh my God, that was dumb. And then I thought, my parents are gonna kill me. I get out, I look at the car, amazingly, it's somehow fine. The curb had been demolished, Amazing rims on this car, I guess. I turned the car, it started. I put it into gear, it went. And the short drive home was not very good. I mean, the car was doing this, and the revs were doing this. Well, it turned out because of those two or three seconds of glory, I had completely destroyed the transmission. <laughs> yes. So, that was a dumb decision. And there was something that I was lacking that day. Even though I had everything figured out, I was lacking wisdom. I was lacking wisdom. And all month long, we're going to be talking about this word called wisdom. And if you've been at DHC for any length of time, you've heard us mention this because we believe this. We believe that in life, it's not always about whether it's right or whether it's wrong. The question is, is it wise, right? Is it wise to be doing this? Now, I can't say that I wouldn't try doing a fishtail again, but wisdom would tell me that I probably shouldn't. And the definition that I like about wisdom is, it's this. It is the application of life experience. It's the application of life experience. It's not necessarily facts, it's life experience. And the thing is, whether you're young or old, it tends to be that we just never have enough life experience when it comes to making the right decisions. And so this month, we're going to be focusing on the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom. And so we think this is a great place to start. It's where we're going to land for the next couple of weeks. And the thing about the book of Proverbs is that it was written by a guy named Solomon. Now, Solomon was a king, and Solomon lived around the year 950 BC. So this book was written almost a full thousand years before Jesus was born, which makes this book almost 3,000 years old. And it's really incredible because when you go look through it, when you read it, number one, it's not written in paragraph form like kind of the rest of the Bible is written. In fact, it's written almost like in little tweets, little short sentences that are just really interesting. Now, when Solomon was a king, he prayed to God, and we read this in the scriptures. He goes, God, here's my prayer, my wish, my request. It's this, that you would grant me wisdom so that I can lead your people. And we read that God was just unbelievably impressed by this man's request. He was impressed because um, Solomon didn't ask for more money, greater uh, armies, more women, all that comes down later on the line for him. He asked simply for wisdom so that he could lead God's people. And God was just unbelievably impressed by this. And, and God granted him that wish. God made Solomon, as we read, the wisest man that has ever lived. And what's interesting is that now when I kind of read my Facebook page, it seems like a lot of my friends think that they're the wisest people, particularly when it comes to like medical advice or like politics these days. But much to their chagrin, he is still the reigning champ. And in the book of Proverbs, he kind of goes through a bunch of different themes that we're going to talk about. But today we're focusing on family. The reason we want to talk about family is that everybody has a family. I mean, we all have a family. Now, our families look different. Right? Uh, I think we have a notion of what 
a traditional family looks like. We now know what a modern family looks like. But at the end of the day, we all have families, and, and we kind of all kind of pull from the same character trough, right? Maybe you've got like the great aunt that wears like way too much perfume or like the weirdo cousin, right? Or the inappropriate uncle who tells like jokes at, at like, you know, kids' birthday parties, which by the way, Adam thinks I'm going to be that guy. But we all have families, right? We all have families. And Solomon says this about families. He says in uh, chapter 11, verse 29, exploit or abuse your family and end up with a fistful of air. Common sense tells you it's a stupid way to live. This is really interesting because what he's saying is that when you exploit your family, when you use and abuse your family, you're going to end up with a fistful of air. What is that? Well, it's nothing. And what he's saying is, or rather what he's not saying, is that you're not going to get any results from your exploits. Rather, when you do this to your family, you're going to actually end up with nothing. You're left with nothing. You see, it's really powerful because what he's telling you is that your family is incredibly important, incredibly important. So I want to shift gears and kind of put the focus on this as we move forward to the rest of the sermon. Here's what I believe. I believe that life is short. I believe that life is short. None of us are guaranteed a long life. We could have 30 years, 40 years, 80 years, 100 years. There are days, honestly, number one, I'm a hypochondriac. There are days where I might think I'm going tomorrow. But we do not have any guarantee about how long our life is going to be. So I want to say this when it comes to your family. Because we have no guarantee about how long life is, because time is short, we need to make sure the moments that we have in this life, the moments that matter, we have to make sure they matter even more. We need to make sure that we take the time to appreciate our family to take advantage of the time that we do have while we have it to love our family. I'm going to put something up here on the screen in just a second. Don't put it up yet. I think a lot of you are going to agree with it. I think a lot of you are going to disagree with it. Um, And my hope is that you would just kind of give me a chance if you disagree. And it's this. I believe that family is the most important relationship you will have on this earth. I believe that. I believe that your family is the most important relationship you're going to have. Now, didn't say it was going to be the best one, right? I didn't say you're going to hang out with these people on a Saturday night. I didn't say that there's not going to be pain and heartache associated with these relationships, but I will say this. They are your most important relationship. You could run away from your family. You could go halfway around the world, but the fact of the matter is that they are still having an impact on your life because you guys share DNA. You guys share blood. And whether they had a good impact on your life or a bad one, they have shaped the way that you see this world. And if you decide to leave, you can't get away from that. Your family is so incredibly important. So incredibly important. Here's something else I know about family. They're the only relationships you didn't choose. Now, this is an old adage, right? You can choose your friends, you can't choose your family. And the fact of the matter is, that's true, right? You can choose your friends. You can choose your neighbors to a degree, right? You can choose your coworkers. You've chosen to be here. You may choose not to come back. I hope you do. But you can choose who you associate with, but you cannot choose your family. You can't choose your parents. Your grandparents, they were there when you were born. Your brothers and sisters, you can complain to your parents about that, but they are there. Now, here's the deal. Some of you wish you could choose your family, and I get it. I've met some of your family members. I understand why you want to get rid of them, okay? But the fact of the matter is you cannot choose them. 
And I want to just say something because I think for those of you who wish you could choose different family members, I understand what you're going through. So I, want to, I just want to say something as the guy who's got the mic right now who's talking about Scripture, just something that hopefully is a confirmation in your life that you can look back on this day and say, yes, okay, fine. He gets it. Your family is crazy. They are. You thought it. Maybe you've said it. I've heard some of you say it. The fact of the matter is your family is, in fact, crazy. And the reason I know that your family is crazy is because so is mine, right? Now, I have a small family. In fact, they're here right now, over here. So my mom and dad, they're normal, right? But if you go outside of our small family, you start wading out into that gene pool, it gets a little dicey, okay? So my family is nuts. Your family is nuts. Here's what you need to know. Everyone's family is nuts. It's just the truth, right? I don't want to be glib, but the fact of the matter is that if you're a human at some level, you're nuts. You're not, and, the, and the bottom line is we say this at this church. We want you to eventually say yes to Jesus. But guess what? If you said yes to Jesus, you're not off the hook. Many times Christians are the most nuts, right? Oh, there's an amen. So your family's nuts, my family's nuts, they're all nuts. And in life, we're going to be going through some things. And perhaps you've gone through these things already. Maybe you're in the midst of these things, or perhaps you're going to go through them. So just kind of walk through it, these issues that your family has. Number one, some families are estranged. If you don't know what that word means, estranged means there's, there's a, a break in communication. You're, you're no longer talking, right? Maybe your dad and his brother got in a fight 10 years ago about who gets their dad's car, and they're not talking. Maybe, maybe uh, your mother and her mother got into a fight over parenting uh, skills, and now they're not talking. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Sometimes in life, there's a breakdown in communication. And what I find most about this idea of being estranged, when people don't speak to each other after a long time, they end up forgetting why they're not talking in the first place. You know, one week turns into a month, turns into a year. The next thing you know, 10 years have gone by, and they say, you know what? My sister and I, we don't talk, and I can't, I don't even know why anymore. I don't get it. So maybe you're dealing with estranged relationships. Maybe, for some of you, you've gone through or are going through a divorce. We talked about this in our last series. Here's the deal. Staying in love is very, very, very difficult. It is. And sometimes life gets in the way. We encourage you guys to do as much as you can to see God in this, to try to make things work. But you know what? Sometimes relationships end. And we always say that people don't get married with the idea of getting divorced, but sometimes it happens. And you know, if you've gone through it, how painful it is. You know, if you've gone through it, how it can tear families apart. But we do know this. We've got a big God and he can make it better. And he can give you and your family a fresh start if you've gone through something like this. The last thing that perhaps all of you have gone through are holiday fights. These are beautiful. Have you been through one of these? So I don't know, like this was news to me. I don't know if you guys knew this. Like I had just recently learned this, but apparently recently there was an election. And apparently there's some people that aren't happy. Um, so if it's your first time to DHC, let me just kind of tell you something. There's one thing that we do not talk about at this church, and it's politics, and you'll find out why. Um, so I was not looking forward to Christmas Eve dinner this year because it was the first family get-together after the election. And all I wanted to do 
was stuff my face with like lasagna and this great seafood salad my father-in-law makes and just drink red wine and just have fun. I didn't want to have to hear about Trump. I didn't want to have to hear about Hillary. I didn't want to have to hear about any of it. I just wanted to be left alone. And so I remember, honestly, praying prayers to Jesus up above, you know, pleading his blood that he would deliver me from this. And honestly, it didn't come up. It was a Christmas miracle. Somehow, after all of that, the name Trump, the name Hillary was not mentioned. And all I could hear was just like wonderful Christmas carols and like, you know, eat. And it was great. But the thing is, this fights are not fun. You know this. You know fights are not fun. And when you talk about politics, guess what happens? A fight. Solomon says this about fights. He says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before the dispute breaks out. He's saying this. You, you're a smart person. You know what you're going to say is going to start a fight. Just don't even go there. Don't even go there. Because if you've seen a dam breaking, by the way, I like Googled what a dam looks like when it breaks. And have you ever like gotten on YouTube to like, let's say Google, and then like two hours later, you're stuck in like the vortex of the bowels of the internet and you're wondering, how did I get on this like Russian website? Anyway, so if you've seen a dam break, it just starts with like almost like a pinhole, right? It's like no big deal. It's just like a trickle. It's no big deal. And the next thing you know, boom, and it's over. And like Solomon says, good luck picking up the pieces. Don't even go there. Don't even go there because fights are going to break out. And there's one thing I know with family fights, okay? I believe that the most personal disputes that we do have, they just always seem to be with family. You know, you can get into a fight with a friend or a coworker, and it's just like, ah, whatever. Guy's a jerk. You go home, you relax, and you kind of, you know, shake it off. No big deal. But for some reason, that fight you have with a family member is just so much worse because disputes, when they, you know, when they take place with a family, they just hurt in a different way. Let me give you an example. Have you ever had a friend, and like this is what I'm going to tell Adam next week, but like have you ever had a friend come up to you and say, hey, it looks like you put a couple of, LBs on recently. Like, it looks like you put some weight on. And you're just like, you know, listen, I know. I get it. You know, it was Christmas. It was New Year's. And like, it was just nonstop. And then family's in town. And like, I just can't get to the gym. And I'm gross. I get it. I know. It's no big deal. Right? Whatever. And then your mom goes to you and she goes, hey, sweetie, it looks like your dress is like a little tight. And boom, it's World War III. Right? Now, I told my wife this example. And she goes, John, that's no. I would be pissed if anybody said that to me. Fine. Whatever. Here's something that just happened to me outside. Um, a good friend came over to me, and she goes, I love your hair. I really like it because, like, you've got a lot of gray coming in. It looks really nice, all the gray that you're coming in. And honestly, I'm fine with it. It's no big deal. But, like, if someone points out that a woman maybe needs to hit, the, you know, the salon and fix those dye jobs, it's over. Something, what happens when your family says something to you, even if it might be benign, it's just, it's over. It's World War III. We erupt. And I do not know why disputes with family hurts so much more, but it just seems to be the case. I don't know if we expect our family just to always be on our side. I don't know if we're always expecting it to be kind of a safe zone. There are times that I actually think we all have these sort of protective facades around us. And every once in a while, our family is able to penetrate it. And it makes us just feel really uncomfortable. I don't know what it is, but disputes hurt in a different way related to your family. And I believe that when there's hurt, right, when there's wrongdoing, right, when these relationships begin to go south, there's only one thing that we need to be focusing on, and it's forgiveness. Now, 
The Bible talks about forgiveness from the beginning to the end. And it helps us to recognize that in life, there's going to be hurt. Particularly when it's in our relationship with God, there's going to be some brokenness there. But I believe that when it comes down to your family, when it comes down to forgiveness, we all need to take a step back. We often need to swallow our pride, and we often need to ask for forgiveness if we've done something to wrong them. I think we also, particularly when it comes to our family, we need to learn how to offer forgiveness. Because offering it is the hardest thing. And I believe that forgiveness, particularly when it comes to your family, is like the hardest thing to extend. I don't think we're quick to kind of forgive our friends so much, but we're just slow to forgive our family. It's this thing that we kind of dangle in front of them for very long periods of time. And there's this old kind of Christianese adage that I actually really like. And it says that failing to forgive a person, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And it's, there's so much truth to that, as corny as that may be. We feel like by holding on to this guilt, by holding on to this resentment, that we're somehow punishing this other person for what they've done. But in reality, most times, they don't even know that they've wronged you, and they've moved on with life, and you're making yourself miserable. So I just want to challenge you. If you've wronged a family member, try to ask for forgiveness. If they've wronged you, I just challenge you, try to offer forgiveness. Because these people, God has placed these particular people into your life for a specific reason. He wants you to run to them when times get tough. That's why they're there. He wants you to run into their arms when times get tough because you need these people. So let me just challenge you. Don't let quarrels and these misunderstandings destroy what should mean the most. I got to be honest with you. So I've worked in ministry now for five, eight years, 10 years, whatever it is. I can't begin to tell you how many families break up over the dumbest things. And the reality of the situation is that when you're embroiled in this mess, when it is you against your family, all you see is red, all you see is anger, and this issue that you guys are fighting over seems like it's the most important thing in the world, and you're going to die on a hill over this thing. But as outsiders, we often look in and we say, you're fighting about this? This is why you're fighting about this with your mother because she, are you kidding me? It's a joke, but to this person, to this family, in this time, it seems like the most important thing in the world because we're not thinking clearly. Just Here's what Solomon says. Friends love through all kinds of weather. Families stick together in all kinds of trouble. When things get tough, you need to run to your family, not the other way around. So don't let quarrels and misunderstandings destroy what means the most. Don't miss this. Even if you don't agree with the decisions they've made. Because let me promise you something. In life, there's going to come a time when someone in your family does something that you don't agree with. There's going to come a time when someone in your family chooses to live a lifestyle that you don't agree with. Don't let that get in the way of being a family. Because the truth is, you can only control your actions. As much as you wish, you cannot control the actions or the decisions of anyone else. So do not let their decisions get in the way of your family, even if they've wronged you. Now, this is the hardest one, to be quite honest with you. This is the most painful. 
Because there is going to be a point in your life, and I pray it doesn't happen to you, but sometimes you have family members that actually wrong you. They may have stolen from you. They may have done something that is just reprehensible. Even if this happens, my challenge is to you, don't let it get in the way of your family. Now, there's going to be a point in your life, I mean, sorry, there's not going to be a point in your life. Maybe in your life, you've gone through some abuse. If that's the case, you need to run, okay? It is not a safe place for you to be around in that relationship. But I pray that there are scenarios, even when they've wronged you, that you can make it right, that with the help of God, you can get things started again. So the question we have to ask now, we've talked about family, the question we have to ask devoted to this series is, what is a dumb decision here for us? When it comes to our family, what is the dumb decision? What is the thing that we could do that ends up not being so smart? I believe it's walking away. It's walking away. And the fact of the matter is, most people walk away. Most people throw their hands up and they just say, it's it, I'm done. I'm done. I'm over. I'm over it. And the reality is sometimes, sometimes they've put the effort in to try to make these things right and they just say, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. And they walk away. But most times, they just say, I'm just not interested. And I walk away. I walk away. When you walk away, when you walk away, the only thing you are losing, the only thing that you can't get more of is time. You, you cannot get more of time. And it pains me because I've seen it a lot in this work that people come to the end of their life and they look back at their entire life with regret because somewhere along the way, they decided to walk away. And they've missed out on so much. They missed out on births. They missed out on baby dedications like we had here last week. They missed out on marriages or graduations. They, they look at pictures and they're not in them because they chose to walk away. And like I said, most people walk away even those who have said yes to Jesus. Because walking away is easy. Walking away is very easy. But choosing to stay, choosing to say, I'm sorry, choosing to ask for forgiveness, that's very difficult. And when things are difficult, I believe, when things are hard, it's the most important thing that we could do. At the end of last service, a gentleman came up to me and he said, or one, it's, you know, I've just come here recently to this church. I appreciate what you guys are doing. He goes, I haven't spoken to my mother or brother in over a year. And um, I'm going to go home today and call them. So I would just say this to you guys. Don't, don't make dumb decisions related to your family. They're just more important than you know. And I understand that they're nuts. And I understand that they've done things that may have hurt you. And I understand that you may have done things to hurt them. But I just plead with you, if it's possible to make these things right, see if you can make things right. These people are more important than you know. They've been placed in your life for a specific reason. Don't miss out on the time that you have with them while you have the time that you have now. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to come together, God. When we talk about family, for some of us, it's our favorite topic, and for others, Lord, it's just riddled with pain and for anguish, Lord. And I just pray specifically for those individuals that this is a sore subject that you would touch them today in a special way. I pray that today would be a mile marker in their life, that today they decide to plant their feet 
and make a shift and say, I'm going to reach out, Lord. I'm going to reach out, and with your help, God, I pray that you would help me mend these relationships because even though they're bad, I know at the end of the day, it's the most important relationship. God, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for their families, Lord, specifically if they're going through difficult things. I pray that you would give them a special touch. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.